himself a new straw hat Twas all he was wearing Eve just sat there staring Saying, Adam, you can't go out dressed like that And that did it, blam to blam That's when all the fun began That's the day when all the men and women went to war Now the battle From the Garden of Eden to the Isle of Wight, folk singing legend Tom Paxton has been there to make sense and nonsense of the human condition. Now, after 55 years on the road, this rambling man's making his farewell tour, and it's coming our way. Hi, I'm Kevin Coughlin for MorristownGreen.com. Thanks for tuning in. He was part of the 60s folk revival with Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, and Judy Collins. His songs, including such standards as The Last Thing on My Mind, Bottle of Wine, and Rambling Man, have been covered by everyone, from Dolly Parton to Placido Domingo. His 62 albums have earned him a Lifetime Achievement Grammy. Tom Paxton's new CD is called Redemption Road, and he'll be singing songs from that one, and many others, on July 25, 2015, at the Sanctuary in Chatham, New Jersey. It's for the 40th anniversary of the Minstrel Acoustic Concert Series. Tom Paxton, welcome to Morristown Green. Thank you. So the, the Ramblin' Man is retiring his suitcase. Say it ain't so. Well, it's been 55 years, and uh, I'm not retiring. I'm just uh, getting off the road. I'm going to stop touring. Why is that? Because I'm tired of... Um, um, tired of airports and, and taxis and hotels and missed schedules. And the general tension of travel has just got to be uh, more than it's worth for me. Have you ever stopped to, to try to calculate just how many miles and how many concerts you've done over these years? No. <laughs> that, would be, that would be an exercise in horror, I think. Uh, God knows how many. I have no idea how many concerts I've given or certainly how far I've traveled, but, you know, it's just an unspeakable number both times. Are, are you feeling uh, legendary? No. I hate that word. <laughs> What's a better term? <laughs> um, hardworking, regular guy, musician. Your, your new album is called Redemption Road, and I was wondering just what needs redeeming? Well, actually, the answer is a lot more prosaic. I have a uh, a guitarist friend in New England named Jeff Bartley, uh, and Je- Jeff's a wonderful songwriter himself, and he sent me an album of his uh, that had a beautiful instrumental on it that he played on slide guitar, uh, which was called Redemption. And I was listening in the car, and I just pulled over to the side of the road and called him and said, Jeff, I have to write some words for that. So since it was called Redemption, I took that as a point of departure and turned it into Redemption Road. And uh, uh, it's the answer is uh, as simple as that. Well, you know, this album has some really great people on it. Uh, you've got Janice Ian and John Prine, and I really love the harp by Jelly Roll Johnson that appears throughout the album. He's wonderful. Yeah, he really is. And, and uh, some great slide work is on the album, and there's also a lot of... A lot of texture to the songs. Some of them are reflective. Some of them are bittersweet. You have some uh, one or two political songs. You have some very whimsical numbers. Before we talk about that, 
Uh, there's a song from my youth that I just have to ask you about. And uh, I think it's a song that it kind of shows how ingrained you are in American culture. And a lot of people know that you're the guy behind the song The Last Thing on My Mind and Bottle of Wine. But I was really astonished to discover that you also wrote uh, My Dog's Bigger Than Your Dog. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote that as a children's song. And uh, then it was uh, adapted for a commercial by uh, Camel Ration. And I wish I could tell you that I made a lot of money from that, but I didn't. For those too young to remember, could you just sing a couple of bars of that for us? My dog's bigger than your dog. My dog's bigger than yours. My dog's bigger than he chases mailman. My dog's bigger than yours. <laughs> or, my dog's bigger because he eats candle ration. My dog's bigger than yours. I must have heard that a million times when I was a kid. You didn't make a fortune off of that song? I know. I did not make a fortune. So we opened uh, this show uh, with, a, uh, with you in the Garden of Eden with a delightful song, The Battle of the Sexes, a very light-hearted number from the new album. But, of course, over your career, you've sung some very serious songs uh, for civil rights, for striking coal miners, and you continue in that vein on the new uh, album with a song called If the Poor Don't Matter. And I'd like to play that, and before I do, can you tell me you know, what inspired that song? What inspired that song is how... I see certain political trains of thought in this country that do uh, tend to demonize the poor, who do tend to blame the poor uh, for their own problems, who think that, that, that the poor are simply lazy. It's a convenient kind of thing, a train of thought that, that allows one to uh, avoid any kind of moral responsibility for doing what one can. Which is, it's very strange to me that in a country that, that brags about its Christian tradition, that, that people claiming that this is a Christian country, for the poor to be demonized, ignored, punished, overtaxed, I, I think it's shocking to me and shameful, and I don't want to stay silent about it. Okay, let's give a listen. If the kids are hungry, but they're nothing to eat. If the baby has a fever, but there is no heat. If they're living in the Chevy, as the world walks by. If the poor don't matter, then neither do I. If the poor don't matter. If the poor don't matter If the poor don't matter Then neither do I If they're living in cardboard Or a packing case If they're gone by morning And they leave no trace If nobody wonders If they live or they die if the poor don't matter, then neither do I. If the poor don't matter, if the poor don't matter, if the poor don't matter, then neither do I. Push them back, sweep them out, anything to keep them out. 
Paxton, your songs have been covered by everyone who matters and by quite a few who don't. What's your favorite cover song of yours? Oh, boy. That would be hard to pick. I know that in, in recent years, uh, Johnny Cash recorded I Can't Help But Wonder Where I'm Bound on one of his uh, latter solo albums uh, that he did with Rick Rubin. And I was very uh, excited to have someone like Johnny Cash singing one of my songs, and I'm happy to say that I think he did just a fabulous job with it. So that's kind of my current favorite cover. And I can't help but wonder where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Can't help but wonder where I'm bound. Is there one that might stand out as the wackiest of them all? Yeah. That would be Tiny Tim singing, I Can't Help But Wonder Where I'm Bound. <laughs> Hi, this is Tom Paxton, and you're listening to Morristowngreen.com. One regret from, from my bucket list is that I never got to see Pete Seeger in concert. Oh. And I want to ask you uh, what Pete Seeger means to you and maybe what he should mean to us. Well, that's, that's a subject for about a, a two-hour disquisition, actually. Uh, what Pete was like in a live performance was you saw a man who was basically shy come completely out of himself because he felt the need to. He felt that the mission was so important the mission of bringing people together through song was so important to him that his own shyness had to be set aside. So he was a dynamic performer, 
who would rather be doing anything else. He was the most decent man. And you felt all of that so strongly as he performed, as he sang, as he spoke. This is a man, this is a man who believes in justice, in simple justice, and cannot bear injustice, cannot remain silent in the face of it. And that's what it was like for me to see Pete Seeger perform. It was a spiritual experience. I meant to uh, to mention at the top that you're going to be coming our way soon uh, on July the 25th at the Minstrel. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary, and not very far from the Minstrel. That show's in Chatham, New Jersey, but not very far from there uh, is a place called Greystone. It's a former psychiatric hospital. I know you're an Oklahoma guy, and that's where uh, Woody Guthrie spent many of his or some of his last days. Uh, I didn't know that. Wow. They're tearing it down now, and there's a, a movement to try to uh, stop them, stop the state from knocking it down, but I don't think they're going to succeed. I know that when, uh, when Woody was uh, in the hospital in Brooklyn, Bob Dylan would go and visit him, and, and Bob asked me one day if I wanted to go with him. And I said, no, I would feel like I was imposing. Uh, I know that you, you're friends with Woody, and... But I don't think he needs another stranger to come and see the way he is now. Uh, I did a public service spot for the Massachusetts Huntington's Korea Council or Society. And we did that at the hospital in Massachusetts. So I saw several people suffering from that horrible goddamn disease where you're your mind is still sharp and your body will just betray you. I'm actually, I'm glad I didn't see Woody in that, in that condition. It was just, you know, wouldn't have done me any good, wouldn't have done him any good. So getting back to your, uh, the arc of your career, as a legend has it that uh, you fell in with the Greenwich Village music scene on weekends while you were stationed at Fort Dix. And I want to ask yeah. you, how, how did the Army feel about you hanging out with all those radicals the Army didn't give a shit. <laughs> the Army did, couldn't care less what we did on weekends. I'm, I'm sure that my, uh, my company first sergeant uh, would have had something to say about it, but uh, uh, who was going to tell him? Not me. Of course, that was a, uh, a hugely talented bunch you were hanging out with there, Phil Oaks, Dave Van Rock, and that crowd, and of course that guy, Bob Dylan, that you just mentioned. Uh, how much did Dylan stand out in that crowd? Uh, was it clear to you at that point that he was going to emerge as the Top Gun? He stood out right from the beginning. You know, there, we were all pretty highly charged guys, but Dylan, Dylan's talent was uh, so unique that uh, it was very clear immediately that he was, uh, that he was unique. What was it about him that just uh, made him so different? Well, his, his songwriting was so immediately great, you know, that uh, uh, that it drew attention right away. And, I mean, he, his personality was, was so quirky that, that it was bound to be interesting to people. People wanted to get closer and find out what made this guy tick. And, and that scene at that time, all those talented people rubbing elbows against each other, uh, was it... Were people mostly supportive? Were they competitive? Was it cutthroat? How would you describe that? No, it was never cutthroat. Uh, of course it was competitive, but it was at least as 
collegial, as supportive as it was competitive, we were all friends. You know, I, I, I really loved all those guys. And you met your, your late wife, Midge, was at the Gaslight? Was she a singer? Yep. Yeah, she came in, uh, she came in the Gaslight one night. Uh, she had just run into up on, on the street. She had just run into uh, David Cohen, who later became uh, David Blue. And uh, they knew each other from Provincetown the, last, the summer before. He said, I'm going on the Gaslight. I want to come. So they came in. And I took one look and went wild. I mean, by the end of the evening, I, uh, we were together. Well, there's a line uh, from the new album. I forget which song, but it goes, uh, and then we all tried to be Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah, that's from Time to Spare. We decided we would all be Rolling Stones. Yeah. <laughs> were you ever tempted to go the, like the folk rock route? No. No, I, I, I knew instinctively that that was something at which I would completely suck. You didn't even want to give it a try? No. No, I was, I was much more interested in following the, um, the path that Pete Seeger exemplified. Uh, that was more interesting to me than rock and roll, and I knew I wouldn't be any good at it, so it was not a big, no, no real temptation. Revolution was a common in the vanguard we would be. We could feel a coming victory in our bones But the music started changing And one morning around three We decided we would all be Rolling Stones And all the nights were then We were free from care wished us anything but well We had time to spare We had time to spare You're listening to MorristownGreen.com. Our guest is folk singer Tom Paxton. We rely on listener support, so if you like what you hear and want to hear more, please make a donation at morristowngreen.com. How would you describe the state of folk music in 2015? I think it's actually in a pretty good place. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds like uh, house concerts going on. There are folk clubs uh, around the country. There are places where one can play. The only thing it is not is a commercial big deal. It was a commercial big deal for about 15 minutes back in the 60s with, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary and the Kingston Trio, etc. And that lasted till uh, the Beatles got here, and then, then that was over. But the real folk music carried on, and it's still carrying on. So uh, uh, everybody should relax. Who do you like? Who do you listen to these days? Uh, who are the up-and-coming people we should be listening for? Well, there's, there's a guy in Oklahoma named John Fulbright. I think is very, very good. Uh, you can see him on uh, YouTube. And a young woman named Ali Marcus, A-L-I-M-A-R-C-U-S, has got a lot of the, the spirit that I, that I enjoy. That, they would be two of the people I'd recommend. I know that you've uh, 
raised concerns before about uh, copyright issues, and I wonder if you might just talk briefly about uh, that and the impact that ha will have on the future of music. What do you mean the copyright issue? Are they about to cancel my copyrights or what? <laughs> the sharing of music online and, uh, and that sort of thing? Oh, well, yeah. It's always been, it's always been tough for the songwriters. They had, You've always got people wanting to rip the songwriters off. Uh, nothing much has changed. It's just uh, a little more technologically sophisticated, that's all. You just have to figure that you are never going to get your due. And uh, you try to get what you can get. You know, everybody thinks that music is free. They're astonished when uh, <laughs> when you ask them for money for it. I mean, the, the surest insurance is to be uh, an enormous star selling billions of records so that the trickle-down amounts to a, to a good living. That being said, with your permission, I would like to play another track from Redemption Road. You don't need my permission. <laughs> You're paying for it through uh, Performing Rights Society, so don't worry about it. This one harkens back to the perhaps somewhat simpler times, uh, the good old days in the village. Uh, it's called The Mayor of McDougal Street. And uh, set that up for us, if you could. Well, that's, that's a name that somebody hung on Dave Van Rock, and I, I think it's, uh, it fit beautifully, because he was the man. When I got there in 1960, Dave was already there. He grew up in New York, and uh, there he was in the village. He, had, uh, he was playing great, great guitar. He had only made one album at that point for uh, Folkways, but he already had a reputation he was a good singer uh, with great versatility and utterly unique. I mean, nobody sounded like Dave. Uh, and he had a vast repertoire. He would go from a big Bill Brunsey blues to uh, Would You Like to Swing on a Star, which uh, Bing Crosby used to sing. He could sing anything. He was uh, a big guy physically. He was incredibly intelligent and well-read. I think he was a high school dropout, but he'd read everything in print and remembered it all. And encyclopedic knowledge of music and jazz and all of that. So uh, he was the man. So Mayor of Google Street, sure. He was also my best man when I married Midge. Here it is. He's been gone for many years now, that's for certain. Left a vacant spot no man can fill They closed the hall and someone drew the curtain No one's replaced him yet, no one will Hanging around the gaslight back in the day Laughing with Dave and Ron and hearing him play It was green Road and play it as it leaves. The devil's on the bandstand, it's a hell of a tune he plays. But the devil puts down his banjo and he reaches for the blues. When the mayor of McDougal Street's playing the blues. Strummed a lazy chord on his guilt guitar 
sounds so sweet it made you want to try it It made you dream of swinging on a star Hanging around the gaslight back in the day Laughing with Dave and Ron and hearing him play It would green Never knew a man to suffer fools less gladly Or to view this world of ours with more jaundiced eyes I miss this friend of mine, I miss him badly In this pygmy world a giant came stomping by Hanging around the gaslight back in the day about songwriting now. Your early days in the village, is it really true that you cranked out a song a day? Uh, no, that came later. During the, during the 70s and 80s, I, I tried to write a song every day, and, and there, were, there were months when I did write 30 songs. And the thing is that most of them weren't any good. It's hard to write a good song. But I figured by writing a lot of songs, I would up my ante, and, and I did. I got a pretty good, I guess it was like maybe a, one song in 10 would be uh, fairly good, and maybe one song in 50 would be really good. But the way to do that is to write a lot of songs. And I, I tell anybody who, who wants to write songs, write a lot of songs. Write every day, write songs. And... That's how you, you, train, you, you train your unconscious to look for songs. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's, you, you begin with a basic talent that God gave you or, or withheld. And if, if you have a talent, you hone that talent by using it. And using the talent to write songs means writing songs. I saw a great interview on YouTube that you did with Pete Seeger in the early 60s. And at that point, you said that there was um, 
there was no real correlation to the amount of time spent on a song in terms of how good that song was. Over time, have you become more efficient? Can you crank them out quicker? Or no, nah, it's all it's all it's pulling teeth every time. Every time is a bull to kill. It's it's just never gets easier. You just get more resigned to the fact that it's hard. What uh, what makes a good song in your estimation? Oh, you have to sing it. That's what makes a good song. You you know that song and you just have to sing it for people. That's a good song. What's a song by somebody else that you wish you had written? Uh, me and Bobby McGee. Why that one? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, it, it moves along beautifully. It tells a nice story. It um I love the fact that, you know, Bobby is a girl and that just kind of like um, Central Square, it, it, you know, it doesn't last. It, it, it comes to a, uh, a disappointing end. And it's got that wonderful chorus, you know. Christopherson wrote some great choruses. Sunday morning coming down. Good grief, what a, what a song that is. He's a Rhodes Scholar, too, right? Yeah, and helicopter pilot. I read somewhere that uh, your first instrument was a ukulele. Is that true? That's right, yeah. I I went to a junior high camp. Some of the guys had ukuleles, and they were singing Five Foot Two, Eyes of Blue. Oh, what those five foot can do. And I thought, how long has this been going on? i got to get me one of those. So I got a ukulele, and I loved it. I only knew, you know, a few chords. But then, you know, somebody sat on it, and that was the end of the ukulele. <laughs> and then I got a, there was a guitar in the back closet of a, an aunt of mine, and she gave me it. The action was excruciating, but I learned a few chords, and I was off and running. You just mentioned a moment ago a song uh, off the new album called Central Square. Uh, uh, that's a song that's uh, it's a very personal song, kind of bittersweet, uh, sort of about uh, lost love. How do you generally feel about relationship types of songs? I always write these songs in the first person, but it's almost never really myself uh, I'm describing. And that's, uh, that's the case in Central Square. It's all fiction. It's not me. I'm impersonating somebody. But the songs that I wrote for Midge, it's pretty obvious that, it, that it's I who's singing and, and talking to her. But a song like Central Square is, is, is um, like a little short story. It's not me, it's just told in the first person. Five roads led from Central Square But only one led home Walked down the other four there lay a world I never known. I saw three stars among the clouds, a good sign some might say. I saw the road that led to home, but I took another I met the girl I came to love One night in Central Square I loved the way she sang her songs 
mentioned songs that you've written for your for your late wife Midge have, have those songs been cathartic for you have they helped you in in the grieving process uh it's more complicated than that in my shows at the moment I'm doing my lady's a wild flying dove which I wrote for her kind of as an engagement present in 63 I don't know it, it actually feels good to sing it because it brings back all the good memories you know it doesn't provoke feelings of loss 
it brings back the way it was then. So I enjoy singing that song. Once you, uh, you finally do stop touring later this year, you're going to have a lot more time on your hands. Do you think you're going to spend it writing songs? Oh, I'll be doing more writing then. I have a couple friends down in Nashville I like to write with, so I'll be going down there periodically. I want to write a bunch of children's songs with uh, Kathy Fink and Marcy Markser. I'm looking forward to doing a lot more writing than I've been doing lately. It's, I, can't, I can't write on tour anymore. I mean, it's all, it was always difficult. Now it's impossible. I can only write when I'm not touring. So uh, that's another, another reason for, to stop touring. Of course, for years you've been doing your, your series, uh, your short shelf life series of topical tunes, things from everything about uh, 9-11 firemen to the financial bailout. Can we expect some more of those? Yes, you can. Uh, I, I don't consider the, uh, the Bravest, which is the 9-11 song. I don't, that's not what I mean by short shelf life songs. I'm talking, when I talk about them, I'm talking about the little satirical things, the short ones like uh, the one I wrote about uh, Lorena Bobbitt or uh, Jackson. They're just little throwaway songs. And I haven't written any of them for a while, but I think I'm feeling the urge to write a few more now. Well, this much we know, Tom Paxton, your amazing body of work will have a very long shelf life. Thank you so much for being with us. You are so welcome. And thank you for tuning in. Our thanks also to the New Jersey News Commons and engineer Mike Barnhart, and also to Montclair State University for use of its facilities. The Morristown Green theme song is performed by Bryn Stanley and Grover Campbell. We'll close with something from the new Tom Paxton album, Redemption Road. It's a tune called Skeeters Will Get You. For MorristownGreen.com, this is Kevin Coughlin saying, listen up, Morristown. Skeeters will get you if your screens ain't tight. The bigger than robins and the wild tonight. The skeeters will get you if your screens ain't tight. And the screens ain't tight at all. Scratch my back. Why? I'm leaving, but you know I'm coming back in style. Driving on white foreign car, dressed like a foreign movie star. Think how happy you'd be if you took a little tip from me. Skaters to get you if the screens ain't tight. The bigger than Robins and the wild tonight. Skeeters to get you if your screens ain't tight And screens ain't tight at all Lorena, come and see this truth I found on the day that passed good sense around If you had any sense then you'd have to agree If you had any sense then you couldn't love me Give me a sweet little kiss And just remember this Skeeters get you if your screens ain't tight The bigger than Robins and the wild tonight Skeeters get you if your screens ain't tight The screens ain't tight at all
Raiders to get you if your screens ain't tight. The bigger than Robins in the wild tonight. Skeeter to get you if your screens ain't tight. And the screens ain't tight at all. No, your screens ain't tight.